caution. What you are about to listen to could be dangerous for anyone wishing to live a normal, safe life at the end of a cheesy cul-de-sac. Back to Jerusalem podcasts are not made in sterile recording studios with professional DJs, but instead behind enemy lines with horrible acoustics, bad internet connections, and suspicious-looking coffee. Listening to Back to Jerusalem podcast could include unwanted side effects like selling your house, leaving your boring job, and uncontrollable desires to speak strange foreign languages. So buckle up, strap in, and hold on, because this is Fast Train, baby, to all those places your mother warned you about. And now, for your host, the man known for having a radio face, Eugene Bach, coming to you live on delay in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the beautiful city of Hong Kong. Today is a day where I want to talk about an event that is taking place in Italy. It is an event that has inspired me, and I hope that we can do the same in the U.S. I hope that we can do the same in many other places as well. In fact, this Sunday, I'm going to be traveling to the U.K., speaking at the U.K., and I'm going to challenge our partners in the U.K. to do very much the same thing that I'm seeing happen in Italy at the end of this week. Now, I came across this article uh, published by the Catholic News Agency that said in Rome, Italy, at the famous Trevi Fountain, which I've been there before. I mean, it's one of the more popular um, emblematic tourist sites in all of Rome. That the the water, according to the, the article, the water is going to be dyed red in recognition of all the Christians who, even today, give their life for the truth of Jesus Christ. So what they are going to do, uh, this, this group, it's a Catholic group that is called Aid to the Church in Need. That is the name of their group. It is it is sanctioned by the Vatican. And what they do, what this group does, and they have offices in the U.S., in the U.K., in Italy, in Spain, all over the world. And they raise awareness about martyrs who are giving their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this group wants to raise the awareness of the violence that's being carried out against Christians. It is a very, I mean, as we have all of these uh, refugees that are coming abroad, there are many people focusing on the needs of those refugees. And I understand why. I mean, these people are still living. However, we are losing the focus of what they are running away from. Now, we can treat the symptoms. We can aid the refugees. But nothing is going to change. In fact, it's arguably worse if we don't go to the root cause of the problem. And so I 
I saw this. I saw this uh, article that was put out by the Catholic News Agency, and I felt that this was tremendous what they are doing in Rome. One of the favorite, the favorite places for my wife and I to travel. I was just there in uh, January together with a pastor, um, uh, our, our pastor Danny uh, from the UK, our good friend who now runs the back to Jerusalem office for the UK. He and Stone, our film guy, traveled together to Rome in order to do a filming. And it's one of my favorite cities. My wife loves to go there. I love to go there. I love to go there with my family. We're big history buffs. We're, we, we love to go to places that have a lot of raw history. And the city really is built around this massive museum. And you have amazing food. I'm saying, I mean, I, I, I love Italian food anyway, but until you've had Italian food in Italy, oh, oh, mamma mia. <laughs> I, there was a, I was traveling there with Tom, for those of you that are f- familiar with the Tom and Eugene show. And we had such a good time. There was at one point, we were trying to go to the catacombs, I believe, and we were inside the middle of Italy and we had to switch buses. And of course, everywhere we went, nobody spoke English. And there was about 10 of us, um, Tom and his family and me and my family, we were all traveling around and we had to get by, a bu- you know, to a bus and, um, the expressions, uh, you know, the, you know, the whole mama mia that, I mean, that was a real expression that people in the streets were using the hand gestures and, and the, 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 the way that the English language takes a bouncy form in, in their dialect was so much fun. We absolutely loved it. And, um, so it's, it's one of my favorite cities. If you ever get a chance to go there, if you ever get a chance to go and see the Trevi fountain, I mean, it is a great city. And if you're there, and you get a chance to go to the main office of this aid to the church in need. The 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 lady that that helped me eventually was amazing. I'll talk about her um, in in a moment. But she really did uh, stand out and did everything that she could to be able to help us. And I was I was very very thankful for that. Um, she was uh, she was the main press person. Uh, her name is Marta or Martha, uh, she was the main press person uh, for uh, serving the church in need. And uh, she was very, very helpful. Her English was was wonderful. So what I did is I called them and I talked with them about this event that's going to be taking place on April 29th, which is uh, Friday. So Friday evening. So this Friday evening, they're going to be turning the water red at the Trevi Fountain and remembering the those that have given their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this is the this is the phone call. Well, we're gonna go through the whole phone call here. Yes, hello, do you speak English? No. Uh, chi parla? Okay. Who is speak now? Who is speak? Who, who speaks? I am calling from Hong Kong, and I would like to ask some questions uh, with someone that speaks English. Uh, about what? Uh, uh, about the Trevi Fountain um, that is in um, 
recognition of the Christian martyrs that's going to be read on April 29th. Please write an email, please. Find our website on internet and write us an email. Okay? Okay, you don't have anyone who speaks English that I could talk to? Uh, just a moment. Okay, thank you. Siete in attesa di essere collegati con l'interno desiderato. Hello? Hello, do you speak English? Yes, uh, this is Marta Petrucillo. I'm uh, in charge of the press office. So, oh, <laughs> how excellent. can I help you? Excellent. Uh, my name is Eugene. I'm calling from Hong Kong. We have a ministry here in China. And uh, we just wanted to write an article about the. Um, Uh, Trevi Fountain that is going to be uh, turned red on a April 29th. This was the yeah. uh, main contact uh, information that we saw from the internet. Uh, could you? Could I ask a few questions about it? Of course. Great. Could you tell us uh, where the idea came from to do this, to recognize the uh, the martyrs? From what we understand, on April 29th, the uh, the Trevi Fountain, which is a, a famous fountain there in uh, in Rome, will be turning turned red to remember the martyrs uh, that have been killed in the last uh, year or so. Uh, where did the idea come from? Uh, yes. Now, first of all, the um, uh, the fountain will be um, turning red by putting just light red lights on it. Oh, okay. So we are not we are not dyeing the water or or something like that. Okay. And uh, the idea is to remember the blood of Christian martyrs, not just in Iraq, not just recently, but um, well, let's say all over the world. Because aid to the church in need, as you may know, um, is uh, also well committed in outlight uh, uh, every religious freedom violation and Christian persecution. Yes, and so, so the idea started because last year our uh, Brazilian office put red lights on uh, the um, Cristo Redentor statue in Rio de Janeiro. Okay. It, so, it's a, it's a wonderful idea. We we wholly support it. We're going to try to raise awareness about it because uh, the, work that, the work that you're doing is so wonderful to raise the awareness of the Christian martyrs around the world. Yes, it's the, as a matter of fact, it's what we wanted to do. Uh, you need people to, to talk about it because here in Italy, but um, let's say in Europe and in the West in general, Uh, there's not so much awareness on the matter. So, uh, Aid to the Church in Need publish every two years a report on uh, religious freedom violation, and uh, we, on a daily basis, are also committed to uh, denounce each violation against, uh, uh, especially against Christians, but also against other religious groups. The idea to this event was just to uh, to shock people in order um, to let them think about this um, uh, this plight that uh, many many millions of Christians are suffering all over the world 
And therefore, we are. Um, hello? Yes, yes, I'm still okay. here. I, <laughs> I am sure. listening very carefully. Uh, yeah, of course. And, uh, and also, we want to give the persecuted Christians voice. So, in order to that, we are bringing at Driving Fountain um, five testimonies. For that, uh, will be friends or uh, relatives or people somehow related to Christian martyrs. So we're going to remember four stories. The first of all will be uh, the Pakistani minister for religious minority, Shabak Bhatti, who was killed in Islamabad in uh, 2011. And we will have one of our yes, um, uh, dearest friends, who is also the, the founder of the Pakistan Christians in Italy Association, that is going to remember him. Then we're going to give the, um, the floor to a sister with Mother Teresa's order that it's going to remember the four sisters killed in Yemen one month ago. And after that, we are going to uh, remember the attack who happened in uh, Garissa, in Kenya, last year, at the University College, where uh, almost 150 Christian students were killed. And uh, there will be a, a Kenyan uh, student who is studying in Rome um, to remember his... Uh, Student, um, its colleague student. Therefore, the last uh, small testimony will be um, that one of the sister of one Italian priest, Don Andrea Santoro, who had been has been killed in Turkey in 2006. After these four testimonies, there will be the uh, well, the main witness which will be uh, the, um, the Chaldean Bishop of Aleppo in Syria, who is going to talk about what is happening to Christians in Syria and especially in Aleppo, which one, once, uh, um, which before the, the war was the main Christian city in, uh, in Syria, but now is losing uh, um, the city already lost two-thirds of its Christian population. Wow, this is, su this is such a great event. Uh, we have friends that are in Rome, and uh, we are uh, letting them know about this. Hopefully they will be able to attend. Thank you so much for your time and explaining this no to mind. us. If you need anything else, do you want a picture? Yes, that would be amazing. That would be absolutely phenomenal. Okay, yes. Uh, I, I hope your email is easy to understand. <laughs> I, I will try. I will try to, um, to get it to you. Um, it, okay. It is S-I-N-O. And then from there, I just give her the email, and then uh, we, we tell her that we will be praying for her and uh, we bless them and the work that they are doing. She brought up a couple things that I think are very important. They, Of course, they are going to be reading um, from five different people, uh, family members from five different people, Christians that were martyred, that were killed from different areas, Kenya, 
Pakistan. She mentioned Yemen. And for Yemen, that is actually very important to us because there were four nuns that gave their life um, for serving the gospel. Now, you may not um, feel that the Catholic Church is, um, uh, you know, a part of this Great Commission. I would probably disagree. Now, I do not feel that all Catholics are going to go to hell, as many people do believe that. Um, before there was a Protestant church, there was a Catholic church that was just the church. It wasn't called a Catholic church. It was just the church. And when you look at missions, specifically in China, if you get the book, um, The Underground Church, I document the very first missionaries who gave their life in China were actually from the Catholic Church. And what these people are doing from the Catholic Church is is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and they're giving their lives uh, in the love and the light of Jesus Christ. They are going there. There are these four sisters that were serving at a orphanage or I'm sorry, it was uh, it was uh, it was a home. It was for children as well as handicapped, as well as the elderly that had been started by Mother Teresa. One of those nuns was from India. She's been serving uh, in other countries, dangerous areas that nobody else would serve in. She was a nurse that left her home country of India 40 years ago when she was 20 years old. She was 60 years old and her last act on this earth was serving breakfast to elderly that were not able to feed themselves. And when um, a group from Al-Qaeda came busting in to their place, I mean, these are just really bad individuals that had no other reason than to go and kill the people that were serving in this area just because it was Christian. And her last act while serving breakfast to the elderly this Indian woman put herself in front of the bullets that were flying in order to protect the others that were there. Everybody that was there was killed. Now there was a, a priest that was also there. It was said that he was taken. Uh, we know that he was taken. We don't know what happened to him. However, there have been reports. We reported about it. We don't know if it was actually confirmed or not. Uh, there were some reports that said it hasn't been confirmed. There were other reports that said it was confirmed where the guy that was the priest that was kidnapped, that was taken, that he was actually crucified on um, Easter Sunday. Now, like I said, that hasn't been completely confirmed. It was actually the Catholic news agency that uh, said that it hasn't been confirmed. But this is... This, this, these four nuns that were there, their family members are going to be there at the Tivoli Fountain reading the story of their loved ones who gave their heart for Christ. And our hope, as well as I know that Marta's hope, is that this will raise the awareness of violence against Christians. While we are debating whether it is offensive to have a cross at the Siemens Church in Stockholm where there is a priest 
that is with the uh, uh, actually she's the bishop, I believe. She's the uh, not with the Catholic Church, but with the the official Church of Sweden. She's a bishop of the church uh, there in Sweden, representing Sweden, and she is in Stockholm. She is a lesbian. And she was proposing to take down crosses at the church so that Muslims that were coming in as refugees would not be offended by the cross when they are praying towards Mecca. And that uh, there should be within the church a sign that would point towards Mecca so that the Muslim refugees that are seeking refuge in the churches in Sweden would not be offended by the cross and they would have a sign that would allow them to know which direction to face when they are praying towards Mecca. Now, while we are going through these debates, uh, there are many debates right now. Debates in Sweden about homosexuality within the church, which I can tell you here in China is not a debate. The church in China is not debating whether homosexuality is okay for church leadership. It is a sin according to the Bible, and that's all we need to know here in China. That sin is not greater than any other sin. It's not greater than looking upon a woman for a man with lust. It is not greater than a man who cheats on his wife or thinks about cheating on his wife. They are equally sin, but it is a sin. And to live in that sin would remove you from leadership inside of China. I can tell you they're a lot more conservative than that. I can go through several different things within China about this subject, but that is not my point. My point is that is what we are debating with in the West. In America today, right now, while I'm making this recording, the big debate for Christians in normal, everyday, secular-influenced churches is whether men are allowed to go into women's bathrooms where young girls and young daughters would actually be exposed to pedophiles, male pedophiles who may be preying on children. So stores like Target, which has become the main target, forgive the pun, of these debates are uh, really setting forth the agenda by saying that men can go into women's bathroom if they identify as a female. All they have to do, they don't have to have the genitalia. They just have to say that they identify with it. One pastor, Pastor Greg Locke, who we did an interview with a couple weeks ago on the podcast. You can find him uh, on our podcast selection. He has become a YouTube sensation. He'll actually be on Fox News this week because he did a recording at Target where he went in and talked with the management at his local Target and then did a, uh, a what many people would consider to be an inflammatory video in front of Target regarding this issue of men using female bathrooms. Now, this is not in a, a situation that you would find in many European countries, right? In many European countries, you often have family, like if I go to Sweden, for instance, you would have unisex bathrooms, but it's not really that big of a deal because the stalls are individual. And so they are blocked off. So you almost get, you get like your own room um, for the most part. You get your own room in a lot of the unisex bathrooms that I've used inside of Sweden. What we are talking about in Target is uh, a shared communal bathroom where men could walk in while uh, young girls are using the 
the facilities where they do not have an absolute room that is blocked off just by themselves, but the, the upper area is open and the lower area is open. Just last week, there was a situation in Pennsylvania in America where a male, um, preyed on a young female and he snuck into the female's bathroom and he's arrested and he was put in jail and now he's facing a sentence. At the same time, other states are making it legal and stores, in fact, are making it legal. My point is that these are the social issues that we are challenged with in the West. That is not the situation for the church between China and Jerusalem, where Christians are being slaughtered. They are being killed. So while we are talking about whether homosexuals should or should not be leaders, whether men can or cannot use female bathrooms in places like Syria, like she talked about Aleppo. I don't know if you caught that or not, but she basically said that was a Christian city. That was kind of the Christian city of uh, Syria. Not any longer. Those Christians were murdered. They were killed. They were, there was a genocide that took place. And that's why we're writing a book right now about the genocide that has been taking place for the last couple of years in Iraq and Syria. Now she was talking about Pakistan and Kenya and um, Yemen. But there, it's happening so much that you can't even keep up with it. There, every single day, it seems like there's another incident that's taking place. You know, I was just in uh, Nanyang of of uh, the area of Hunan province, and I did a podcast that I said that I was hiding. So I did a podcast while I was hiding from the authorities. I was speaking at a Christian businessman fellowship. It's underground. It was an underground meeting, meaning that it wasn't registered. It was illegal. We were doing it out in the countryside in a facility that allowed us to run this kind of meeting. I can't give any details about that facility, but we were just outside of Jamadian, which is the location where Baito Church was ordered to be destroyed by the local government. Now get this, this was just last week. This was I was in the same area as this church, which changes the situation because while I was there, the officials showed up for no reason. And because we were able to identify them as they were traveling down the road, the facility that we had had watchmen. We had watchmen watching the roads from long um, distances so that if any a convoy came down the, our way, any police car, government identified vehicle was coming our way, they would be able to get me to safety. It's not really my safety that was in jeopardy. It's really their safety. For me, I would probably just get my visa canceled. That would probably be the worst that would happen, and they would ship me out. However, I say that uh, knowing that a, a, a person that we used to work with uh, in uh, the North Korean region of Northeast China is sitting in jail today for being convicted or being accused of being a spy. So he is being accused of being a spy and he's been in, in jail now since 2014 or he was under house arrest for some time, but now he's actually in jail. His wife was arrested as well. She has been released. Um, I don't know if she's been able to leave China or not. In fact, I think that it, I, I've been sending letters to the Canadian embassy or the Canadian government 
uh, in Canada trying to get information about him, but they have not yet responded to my email. So I think I'm going to try to call them. That could be another podcast where I'll just call them up and try to ask them questions if they have any update because he's a Canadian citizen and being wrongly accused of being a spy. He's not a spy. He was a missionary. I, I, I know him. I worked together with him. He had a heart for the North Korean people, and he ran a coffee shop in Dandong of uh, China, which is the northeastern part of China. And from his coffee shop, you could see the North Korean border. I mean, he was just on the river. So his main focus was uh, working with the North Koreans, and they're charging him with being a spy. But for the most part... If I were arrested, the worst that would probably happen is they would just cancel my visa and kick me on out. It's the locals that are actually having the challenge. But what they did, what the locals did is they took me and they put me in a, in a hidden room. And they allowed me to stay in that hidden room until the government officials left. Now, it was not sure why they came. Even after they left, I spent some time with the leaders and nobody really knew why they were there. But they came and they got free food and they left happy. But in Jamadian, the area just right next to us where we were at, had a church that the government decided needed to be destroyed because it was not an official three self church. It was not an official government church. It was a it was a building that was built to accommodate believers that had grown to such a level in that area that they needed to have a common location for fellowship. So they had this building built and the government was upset. The government actually wanted the land back. So they sent in a, a demolition team on April 14th, <coughs> excuse me, on April 14th, they sent in a demolition team to destroy the church. Now the pastor and his wife, Saime, went out to stand in front of that bulldozer. And it was a scene directly from the 1989 Tiananmen Square incident. If you remember the Tiananmen Square incident in 1989, what's the most famous picture? The most famous picture that kind of seared into the minds of people around the world was this democracy student that stood in front of a tank, unarmed, just himself, no one else around. Right? I mean, when most people think of the Tiananmen Square incident, that is the very picture that they think of. And in fact, the guy who got that picture did so from a hotel just down the street from Tiananmen Square. And they, the press was able to rent out the top level of that hotel. And they took their photos from there and were able to send them back to the U.S. And for many years after that, that whole top of that hotel was closed off to other guests and those windows were blacked out so that that would never happen again. And in fact, if you go there today, you can still see those windows in that hotel have, have been blocked out. And it was for that purpose. So you have the pastor and his wife, they're standing in front of that bulldozer and said, over my dead body, will you destroy this church? We stand here as believers in Jesus Christ to protect that which we believe has been given to us so that the body of believers in this area can come together for fellowship, as is our faith. And the boss of the 
bulldozer driver said, run them over and bury them. I will take responsibility for their lives. The bulldozer pushed them over into a, um, a, a low area that had already been pre-dug. And then he pushed over large amounts of dirt and put it on top of them and buried them both alive. The pastor, because he was a little stronger, was able to claw his way out and then finally make it back out of that, that shallow grave that had been built. But his wife was not so lucky. She was buried alive. If you go to our website, you'll see that we put up um, a very disturbing um, story. We tried to tell the truth as it actually happened. And in fact, we used a photo from China Aid Ministries that you can find at ChinaAid.org. We used a photo that they had received of her body right after it had been pulled out. So we have it, 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 it's not for everybody. So if those kind of things disturb you, you should not be going to that website. But that was just last week. That was just last week. This Christian was buried alive for trying to protect her church from being destroyed by the government. And that is what this group is doing in Italy. Bringing about information, what's happening to Christians around the world. Christians are dying for their faith. Now, what we need to do as a collective body, as Christians, as fellow believers, is stand beside them in solidarity. What we need to do is those areas where Christians are dying, send even more missionaries. Send even more representatives of the kingdom of God to show the love and compassion. Because the enemy cannot defeat a living God. We do not need guns. We do not need bombs. We do not need soldiers accompanying us. I am telling you that even though we lose our lives, our blood will not be shed in vain. And I love the idea of taking a fountain, a fountain that is a famous fountain like that fountain, like the Tevli fountain in Rome, and turning it red so that all the visitors from around the world that get to come and see it, they will be reminded of the Christians that are being slaughtered every single day for the good news of Jesus Christ. What other religion has that? Being killed, not because you're blowing yourself up in a suicide vest. That's the, that, those are the martyrs of jihad. Not for those that are burning themselves on the streets of Tiananmen Square. Those are the martyrs of Buddhism. Not for those that are going and uh, having themselves killed in front of embassies for demonstrations like those of uh, the Falun Gong. What I am talking about are those who are being crucified for doing nothing more than serving their fellow man. Not even their fellow Christians. The people that the, the uh, Christians have been serving in areas like Syria, in areas like New, uh, uh, northern Iraq, they have been serving people that are not even Christians. Many of them Yazidi, Sunni, or Shia Muslim. Individuals that, for the most part, might even hate Christians. But we serve them in love and humbleness. 
What a great testimony that they're going to be doing in one of the busiest areas of Italy. Most people go to Rome. And most people that go to Rome go to the uh, Tivoli Fountain. So now they will be able to see a demonstration. And how cool would that be if we do that in other places as well? What if we were able to also do that in Rome, New York, Paris, Stockholm, Oslo, Helsinki? What if we were able to do that in other nations around the world to raise the awareness of those that are dying? Not so that we can pull them out and bring them back to safety, but so that we can raise the consciousness level of our churches to send out a war cry that there's a spiritual battle taking place and we have fellow soldiers that are going down and we are leaving men behind. My background, of course, for those of you that know, for those of you that do not know, um, my background is in the U.S. military. I I was in the Marine Corps. And we had a motto that said, we leave no man behind. I would like to see that same idea carried out in the Christian church. That's one of the things I love about the Chinese underground house church is that we leave no man behind. So if you are anywhere close to Italy, if you are anywhere close to Rome during April 29th or you know somebody who is, send them a note, tell them about what's going on. We're going to be doing an article about this in the next day or so. If you see the article after you um, hear this podcast, please share this podcast and this um, article that we're going to be putting on backtojerusalem.com with as many people as you can. Thank you so much. Again, this has been another Back to Jerusalem podcast. We appreciate you. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your prayers. I'm Eugene Bach, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Hong Kong. God bless you. There's a simple way for us to help ISIS victims. Drink tea. It's that simple. By drinking a cup of Back to Jerusalem Chinese tea, you will bring hope to the refugees displaced by ISIS. It is a healthy way to make a difference. So invite friends and family to your home for a Bible study around a warm pot of organic Chinese tea. Does your church have a cafe? Add Back to Jerusalem tea to the menu. All profits go to help ISIS victims in Iraq and Syria. My name is Jung, and I am an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ. It is considered quite dangerous for me to share the contents of this book, but these are stories that need to be told for God's glory and the encouragement of the church. So begins the extraordinary first-person account of a prominent leader of one of the largest underground churches in China. This dramatic true story is told in Back to Jerusalem's latest book, I Stand with Christ, by Eugene Bach. I Stand with Christ is a detailed account about a former Communist Party member who took a stand for his faith in Jesus and was targeted for prison, work camps, and torture. See how he goes from the prison cell of China's maximum security prison 
to leading one of the largest underground house churches of 10 million believers. Be amazed at this true story of suffering, sacrifice, and triumph. I Stand With Christ is available at www.backtojerusalem.com or where books are sold. <laughs>